Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So we have a very exciting founder today. You know, we're going to be talking a lot about growth. We're going to be talking about, you know, the differences in the landscape in Europe, in, in the U.S. Uh, but I find that we're going to find the interview today very inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Alan Chang. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So originally born in Hong Kong. So uh, how was life growing up there? Give us a little uh, walk through memory lane. Yeah, uh, very, yeah, it's a great city. Uh, very, 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 very busy. Uh, everything you need is uh, within, uh, you know, like a one mile radius. But yeah, so I'm glad. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, and also you can you can surf, you can you can do water sports, you can hike, uh, and you can you know party all within uh, a fifteen minute drive. Yeah, pretty That's pretty amazing. Fun. And 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 I guess you know in your case, why or how did you get into physics and and things like that? I chose physics at university because at the time uh, it was the hardest thing I knew, right? So, and uh, I just wanted to yeah, push myself and see, yeah, to solve, I, I like to solve problems. I like to solve complex problems. So physics was the hardest thing I knew and that's why I chose it. And and also you moved. So even you doubled up the, the challenge because you went from Hong Kong to um to London. So why why not staying around? You know, in in Hong Kong, why 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 going to London? Yeah, so I went to London, chose London because uh, for if I get better opportunities. Um, so Hong Kong's culture is quite traditional. Um, there isn't that many that that many you know, entrepreneurship startups going on there. Like people, let's put it this way: the unless you're a doctor, lawyer, or work in investment banking, or you work for McKinsey, you're not very well respected. <laughs> so. If you're starting up, people ask you what you do, what you do with life. Um, so yeah, that's 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 one of the main reasons why. why, why. Now, for you, when you moved to London and you studied physics, eventually, you know, like one thing is pretty interesting here because rather than going into the traditional careers, you know, that you would go after um, university, especially going to Imperial uh, College, which is one of the best uh, universities when it comes to to engineering, science, and other, you know, stuff, you know, in the world, but uh, they're based there in, in London. You chose the startup world. So how did you come across, you know, the whole startup, you know, venture world and, and why did you think that was a, a good idea, you know, right after, right after school? Yeah, I actually I always wanted to go to startups. Uh, I decided that, you know, startups was my, uh, what I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, so a lot of people after university, they they tell me the same thing. I'm interested in startups, and then they all end up in McKinsey or investment bank or something like that. So I, you know, I just ask myself if if I if I like startups so much, and I'll just do that straight away. I don't have to go through more steps just to do that. And how did that law for startups develop? I mean, at what point you know you were like, this is really where I want to you know be participating in. Yeah. So. I think uh, it really helped that my dad was also an entrepreneur, right? Um, so I had a lot of exposure from him uh, about 
entrepreneurship. Um, so I just found the whole, whole, you know, uh, you know, startups very, very exciting, right? You know, gets me going. And what were some of the things that you learned from seeing your father being an entrepreneur himself and, and also through him going through the ups and downs and the upswings and downswings that uh, you experience when you are building something from nothing? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's probably, you know, on an emotional level, like the highs are very high, right? Sometimes you feel like you're the king of the world and then lows are very low, right? You feel like you made the biggest mistake in your life. Um, but then I think what's exciting is, uh, building something from scratch and then, you know, make an impact. Uh, that's, that's probably what draw, draw, draw me to it. So then in this case for you, why going and working at another startup versus building your own right after school? Yeah. So I actually tried doing it at school and then I realized actually I know nothing about this. I'm, I'm, I'm very bad at this. So. Uh, then the next best next best option was to, you know, work in a, a startup from you know from founders that know what they're doing, right? Um, so yeah, just how I uh, accidentally met, uh, you know, met, uh, uh, met Revolut. So then let's talk about Revolut. Why Revolut, and how does Revolut coming to the picture? Yeah, so I'll say I came came across Revolut by accident. Um, you know, obviously at the time it was a very very small company, very very early stage. I think from memory, there's uh, yeah only four 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 people working there back then. Um, so yeah, the first time I met Nikolai, he was uh, like super super smart. He just came across a very very smart guy, um, and. Yeah, also, I think what won me over was he, after the interview, he, he asked, first of all, he asked me a very tough problem to solve. It took me a while, but then I eventually got it. And then second is that he offered me a role immediately after the interview, right? So I've never experienced such speed, right? Um, so I, I basically said yes. Now, what kept, what kept, kept me sick, what, what, what made me stick around was, was actually quite simple, right? Um, I think, uh, Nick and Vlad, they, like, I don't. I don't think uh, I've met any other founder that works as hard as they do. Right? They, they, they. You know, uh, very early in the morning, very late at night. Um, and basically seven days a week, right, in the office. Um, and at the time we were in this co-working space where there's like, you know, like a couple hundred other startups, right, out there. And after seven p.m., you know, the whole co-working space is dead, right, apart from apart from Revolut. And the whole weekend was also dead, apart from Revolut. So that's how I knew, you know. Revolut was something special, and uh, I just yeah, sticked around. So then let's talk about Revolut. You know, you enter there when there were just, you know, four people. And, uh, I mean, Revolut, I mean, right now is a billion, multiple billion dollar company. Uh, but I guess how was how were the early days of working at Revolut? Yeah, it was super fun, right? Um, I think, uh, yeah, there was loads of problems. Um, there was uh, not a lot of people to solve it. Um, so being able to solve you know, different types of problems, although, um, yeah, uh, was super, super fun, right? Um, and yeah, do, also doing things that you're not qualified to do, right? Um, um, you know, I, I wore multiple hats and, uh, you know, every almost every day there's a new problem that 
I'm definitely not qualified to do it. Well, would not be allowed to do it in a big, bigger company. Because for the people that are listening to really understand it, what was what was Revolut? What was what is Revolut, and what is the business model of Revolut? Sure. Yeah. So Revolut's a, a, effectively a global neo bank um, and a financial super app. Right? So it's basically everything money in a single app. Right. So whether it's uh, FX, uh, stocks, crypto, uh, insurance. Um, and, and, and credit, right? Um, or in a single app, but, you know, 10 times cheaper and 10 times better. Now, Revolut, uh, what you were saying there is that uh, you were wearing multiple hats. So how would you say that your role changed as the company, you know, was maturing? Because, I mean, the company has, you were there for about seven years. I mean, seven years in startup world, in dog years, I mean, it's like insane uh, what you can do and what you can learn. So how would you say that your role matured from time to time over the course of those seven years? Yeah, so it like I started as an individual contributor, right? Um, and then I ended up running you know, customer service. Then I took on operations. Um, and then I ran international expansion. Um, and then I helped scale the operations team you know, to over 100 people. Um, and operations is, you know, uh, essentially... Uh, kind of gen general problem solvers that we throw into different areas of the business to uh, either fight, fight or, or or just you know solve you know, well different different problems in the area, in the in the business and then uh, and then you know and then COVID hit and then uh, profitability was a really really big problem and then uh, the CEO asked me to take the company profitable um, so we yeah uh, we did that in in seven months. From you know losing forty percent revenues because of lockdowns to in seven months later we we hit net income zero, uh, which was a you know a quite quite big milestone and then and then obviously growing top line right um, um, so yeah so I, I'll say I I I I put myself in different problems when when the different when the needs of the business change right over time. A Revolut, you know, a company that has raised over. 1.7 billion, you know, valued at about 33 billion. What what kind of exposure did you get to to the financing rounds and and how those expectations matured from round to round? Yeah, so I, I had some exposure you know, from from meeting Revolut's investors to yeah, had a chance to um, yeah, uh, yeah, go go through the due diligence process and understand how that works. Um yeah, and, and yeah, the and obviously the expectation, right? Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously uh, expectation of early stage or mid stage or late stage is very, very different, right? But I'll say like uh, Rebel was quite disciplined in the sense um, it was like it knew, you know, what was important at what time. Um, so I'll say, you know, for example, I think profitability was important but now everyone's talking about profitability, but Revolut was talking about profitability much earlier, right? And has achieved profitability for, for, for a while already. Um, so I think self-realization of what is important as opposed to what investor expects, because what investor expects is very market-driven, right? Um, whereas I think having this self-awareness of when, what, what is important and when um, is very important, and I think Revolut has that. So after seven years, you decide it's time to turn page. Why? Yeah, so I I, I feel like, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of smart people working in fintech already. 
um, and also Revelers in a very good position. Uh, it's, it's, it's generating a lot of cash. It's uh, you know it's still growing uh, quite quickly. Um, and it's almost turned to a machine, right? This machine just you know just compounds uh, every year. Um, so I decided to you know move to energy because um, there's not that many players in energy that's helping to you know having us transition and accelerate uh, into renewable energy. Um, so yeah, that's that's really the main reason. So then, tell us about that transition. Out of all things, why energy? I mean, all you knew were was fintech. So uh, energy is quite a big shift. So out of all things, why energy? Yeah, so I think it's probably the number one problem in the world right right now. Um, I think that's the number one reason. Number two is I would say I I would consider myself a problem solver rather than uh, uh, rather than you know by domain. I mean, before Revlon, I didn't know anything about finance either, right? or technology, for that matter. So, but you know, uh, I learned, right? So, I would say I, I'm I, I'm pretty confident in my learning skills. Um, you know, I spent uh, I myself and the team spent you know a lot of time you know, learning about the space. Um, I wouldn't say we we ex- energy experts yet, um, but I would say we're probably learning much faster than than. Uh, um, than incumbents right now. So then for people that are listening to us, what ended up being the business model of the company? Yeah, so effectively we're building a vertically integrated uh, energy company, right? And essentially it's um, a classic story, I think, which is um, yeah, build everything in-house, integrate everything, improve margins, uh, build a customer-centric product and improve MPS, right? Um, I think this is, uh, you know, I think this is just a playbook I think any consumer company should do in a low MPS, uh, low MPS fragmented industry, right? We've seen Revel do it, we've seen, you know, Tesla do it, we've seen uh, Amazon do it, right? Um, so I'll say that this is not a, both models not novel, right? We, we have seen many, many different examples in different industries. But I would say it's you know, it's quite simple, really, right? Um, build the best product you have, integrate everything, improve margins, pass some savings back to the customer. Now, one thing that uh, that is very interesting here too is that, I mean, being part of Revolut and and helping it to grow so fast, you know, over the course of those seven years. I mean, obviously, Revolut today, you know, it has like over like seven thousand employees or something crazy like that. What are your thoughts around culture and also around building the team, especially since you guys, you know, recently got started with the company? How have you guys thought about really building the team and especially the the initial players that are coming in and that are going to be setting the standards for the culture of the business? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, I I think Revla had seven cultural values from memory. Um, uh, I, I brought one over, right, which is effectively never settled, right? So we want to, so what that means is, you know, we never settle for anything but top quality. We never settle for anything but number one. Right? Um, and this is also reflected in our hiring philosophy, right? We try to hire, effectively, a top uh, top professional football team, right? Um, you know, competing in the World Cup. Um, and we're trying to win the World Cup. So 
we basically hire you know individuals that have you know very very high caliber individuals um, that are willing to you know sacrifice um, um, effectively their you know other commitments right to achieve you know, our goals right. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I gotta tell you that. You know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So in this case, I mean, for you guys, how much capital have you guys raised? Uh, we raised uh, approximately $70 million. $70 million, 70. 70, 78. 78, 78. Okay, got it. And uh, how has been that process like? Because, I mean, you didn't wait. You did. You typically would go through different financing cycles. And in this case, I mean, so early. I mean, we're talking about a company that literally, you know, got started, you know, last year. So uh, it's almost no time. So how were you able to get all this money in such a short period of time? Yeah, so I think, uh, I think several reasons. Uh, number one is, um, I think the TH track record. Um, I don't think there's a lot of founders out there that would, um, you know, have a, you know, a, 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 a record like ours in the team. I think number two is, um, a lot of investors are very, very excited about what we're building. I'd say certainly from my experience, like we've scanned the whole energy market and there's not a lot of innovation going on. Um, like it's a huge space. It's a very hot topic. Um, but not a lot. Of not a lot of you know players uh, trying to bring you know, sophistication and uh, a customer centric approach to solving this problem. So I say it's a combination of these things that helped us uh, raise a large round. And also, uh, we do need a lot of capital to get started. Right, that's a that's a third reason. Um, we won't raise money if we don't need it. But we do not we do we do need a lot of capital to get started. So I say these are top three reasons. And what was that process like of being able to source also all these investors to make sure that you had the right people for the right reasons? Yeah, so I mean, luckily, you know, we we, we knew some of the investors beforehand, right from uh, from from our days at Revolut. And so that's number one. Number two was we were very careful in choosing 
um, who we want to partner with. And yeah, we, 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 we got to know the partners that, um, that invest in us beforehand. So I'll say, yeah, they, they, these are two main avenues, right? Um, and how different is the uh, funding um, environment in, in Europe? Obviously, I, I don't know because uh, I haven't really raised from the US, but we do have some American investors uh, on our uh, on our investor list. Um, but I would say, you know, there's there's uh, uh, there's there's plenty of capital in Europe, um, and there is uh, like there's plenty of capital. In Europe. I'll say this: the fundamental problem is that I, I think there's not enough entrepreneurs. Right? There's more capital than top entrepreneurs, right? I mean, even for myself, like I, I also, you know, enjoy investing on the side and I, I would say I, I have more money can deploy than, than, you know, successful, like what I consider top entrepreneurs I can invest in, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I think for, for, for sure that there's more capital than, 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 than companies that can take capital, a good, good quality companies at least. Um, so I'll say the funding run is pretty good, right? Um, even despite the, the downturn we see. So in terms of, um, you know, visibility here into the vision, because obviously to all those investors that you've onboarded, you know, you've sold them on a vision. So uh, let's say you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Tesseract is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. I think first of all, energy will be cheap, right? It'll be priced like water. So think about it, right? If we if we think first principle, so renewables is really like when we talk about renewables, we talk about really mainly solely so solar and wind, right? And wind is basically indirectly solar energy. And solar energy we talk about like huge nuclear fusion reactor in the sky. Um, that can power the, the earth one one thousand so if you look at every if you if you look at all the if you look at all the solar energy right uh, that the earth so earth surface get, uh, gets um if you even if you get yeah basically that if you take that energy convert to electricity you can power the earth effectively approximately one thousand times over what the earth needs um so effectively it's really about the roller of you know solar and you know, storage, right? So if you think first principles, then, you know, once we achieve that, um, you know, and there's abundance of energy, right? Uh, effectively, then energy is priced like water, right? You no longer have to think about, worry about whether the, the energy, your, your next month's energy will go up, right? Um, I'll say that's number one. Uh, number two is, uh, it's quite a simple one. Uh, I want, uh, I want a great, I, I want a great, uh, user experience with um with my with my utility right now right now right how most people interact with utility is i set up a recurring payment i forget about it <laughs> don't bother me again right but in a other occasional occasional um uh okay an occasion you need to for example uh, get a utility bill to uh to proof of address to your bank right but then like if you think about it this this process makes zero sense, right? Um, because what we're doing is we're translating machine readable data to human readable data, and then some companies, uh, and then usually human turn to the human readable data into machine readable data, right? Um, 
And some companies, like computer vision companies right, or machine learning companies, are trying to turn that PDF right into back to machine code. Um, whereas, if you think about it, like, there's no reason why utility can't open up an API, like a you know, like API authentication type service, to allow you to press a button and then say, "Okay, allow my financial service company to get access to my utility data." Here you go. Right? I don't have to download some PDF. So, like simple things like this, right? There's I can I can name you like a hundred more examples where. There's fundamental, like the UX is very, very bad with utilities, right? So a good UX, I want to see uh, just like, you know, uh, I want to see great UX in utilities. Now, just like right now, I can press a button to get a cab, right? Uh, I want to press a button to get solar panels, right? And have it financed completely. Like Amazon, Amazon Prime type service, right? It arrives next day, it's all installed. I just press a button and that's it. And I get all the government subsidies automatically applied. I get all the financing just with a button, right? Today, that doesn't exist. So I think, uh, yeah, basically to summarize, you know, very cheap energy, fully renewable, great customer experience, and everything I need to save me money and energy, help me electrify one in one place. So it sounds like it's a massive market. So... You were alluding to it earlier that uh, there is lack of innovation around it. You know, why Why the lack of innovation? Why the lack of perhaps, you know, awareness or consciousness, you know, from maybe other people that could jump in and, and help? Why is that the case? Yeah, that's a good question. To be honest, I, I, I'm not too sure why. I think in general, uh, in general, I, 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 I have some hypothesis, right? I think number one, uh, to really solve the electrification problem, right? You have to, you have to deal with hardware, right? You have to deal with physical world, and I think, uh, and, and therefore you have to have to have capex. Um, I think that puts a lot of entrepreneurs off, right? I think for good reason, right? Um, you know, if you can, if you can solve a problem with just with SaaS, I mean, that's that's great. That's very easy. That's great, right? Um, but unfortunately, you cannot solve this problem just with SaaS. Right, you can't solve that with software. You have to not software alone at least. You have to solve the hardware as well. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs are uh, are scared away from that. Right. Um, however, you know, companies such as Tesla and Amazon have shown actually even with capex you can build a very successful business and make a lot of money. Right. So that's, I say that's number one reason. Um, number two is I think this is really a new challenge. Right. So effectively, if you think about fundamentally, if, if you look at how we used to do energy generation, right, um, not so long ago. So we used to have a big coal plant, right, um, you know, usually in the mega gigawatts, right, range, um, serving about a million households, right, like somewhere middle of nowhere next to a coal mine. You send electricity down a very, very long cable, right, and then to serve the metropolitan area, right. That's really it, right. Now, if you think about it, that's quite, you know, quite simple. And usually this big coal plant is owned by one big company. It could be state-backed, right? And then they charge you a monthly bill. And the good thing about coal plant is the energy production is pretty steady, right? So, you know, think, uh, and, you know, think, think about the, the energy profile of the coal plant, right? It kind of produces a pretty flat baseload type profile, right? Um, and, and the good thing about coal plant, right, is... It's almost like a, uh, it's basically an internal combustion engine, right? You can effectively rev, right? You can rev a coal plant. So let's say there's a, a surge in demand in, electric, in, in energy, right? 
So let's say there's a, I don't know, a football game going on or, or something like that, right? And there's a certain surge in demand and people turn on TVs or people, you know, turning on the kettles or people cooking, right, when they go off from work. You can basically rev the engine to get more energy from it. Pretty, but otherwise pretty simple, right? But now we want to transition renewables, right? And so good thing about renewables is very cheap. However, the bad thing is it's not dispatchable, right? I can't control how much solar energy I get. I can't control how much wind energy I get. Right. And also, obviously, there's no solar at night. So you have this like very, very fluctuating, you know, uh, energy pro, uh, energy generation profile. And also, you can generate it everywhere, anywhere, right? They used to be able to, you know, put coal plant next to coal mines. Now you can put solar or wind almost anywhere, right? So it's more, become more decentralized, but also less predictable. And because of this, right, it basically creates a lot more challenges in energy, right? So historically, like, you know, there's not much to it in electricity. It's pretty simple. Right? It's a very simple circuit. You have a big generator, you have long cables connected to every home, right? And that's about it. But now you have much more complex circuits, right? That requires, you know, a lot more sophistication, right? So I think it's a combination of, you know, capex as well as a changing environment, uh, especially around policy, because basically every, almost every government I'll say, uh, in, in, at least in the Western world, is pushing for you know, net zero, right? Um, and they're pushing, pushing pretty hard. So I think a combination of that and income is moving slow, capex, <laughs> all of this, I think makes it, uh, you know, there's, there's therefore not a lot of players. Um, but at the same time, that's why it excites me, right? Because, because there's not a lot of players. I'm like, okay, if no one's going to do it, then... You know, why not us, right? Hey, someone has to do it. Someone has to do the work. Someone so, has to do uh, it. That's it. That's it. So now imagine I was to give you the opportunity of getting into a time machine. And I bring you back in time to that moment where maybe you were still in school at Imperial College. And you were wondering about really getting into the startup world, you know, maybe building something of your own. Because at that point, you were even, even thinking about doing it on your own. Imagine if you had the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self at that point. And giving that younger Alan one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? I think uh, my advice would be don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do it later. Don't do it now. Uh, starting a business is very, very tough. Like, like a, lot, a, lot of things like, uh, a lot of things that you don't think can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, don't do it unless you're very, very sure. Also, that's, that's definitely what, I, what my advice I'll give to myself. I love it. I love it. Now, for the people that are listening, Alan, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, um, you know, feel free to reach me on LinkedIn or uh, like this. Yeah, happy chat. Amazing. Well, easy enough. LinkedIn. So, Alan, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.